0: First Peter, First Peter one, twenty one through twenty-three. I'm gonna back up a little bit into verse twenty so the pronouns will make sense. You who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, who lives and abides forever.
1: It's great to see you this morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, summer, a summer day. It's a summer day. We've made it to summer. I hope you enjoyed spring, uh, both days of it. It's, uh, now we're on to summer. Good to see you today. Uh, glad that you're here. Several who are visiting, uh, we're grateful for your presence as well today. It's a book written in 1896. The author's name is Charles Sheldon. Charles Sheldon in 1896 wrote a book that has sold well over one million copies the title of the book is In His Steps. And basically the book, it's a, it's a novel, rather lengthy book, but basically the book tells about an event that took place in another country in another time. And there was a man who stood to preach. I don't believe he was a, gospel or a member of the church, the Lord's Church. But what we find is he was standing to preach and a beggar, a man who was dressed as a beggar, came in to the assembly... And he disrupted everything. He came in, he kind of stood up in the middle of everything, and basically he asked the congregation who was present that day, are you really following Jesus? Are you really demonstrating his uh, life by the way that you live? And that man, as the story is told, died later that same week. So the beggar walked in, tells everybody, asks them, are you living the way you should? And then he leaves and he dies that very week. And so the preacher is really uh, dwelling on this, this statement that the beggar has made, dwelling on the events that have taken place and the fact that this man had died previously the last few days. And he stands the next Sunday and he challenges the congregation. I want you for the next year... To think only this thought. What would Jesus do? For one year, I challenge you, before every task, before every decision, before anything that you think or do, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Now, what do you think about that? For one year, what would Jesus do? Now, there were several in that congregation who took it very seriously. And in the little town where that took place, they said it actually turned that little community all the way upside down. They said it was amazing. People had intentions and thoughts of spending money a certain way, and they changed their mind, and they did something different. Or they were going to do this, and they changed their mind, and they did something completely different. I'm wondering, why did he just give them a year? One of my first thoughts is, why just a year? Well, I, I think he said, this is a goal. And, and if you can do it for this length of time, then you'll do it longer. But I'm thinking, Adam, you, you need not to be doing that for a year. This is really what I want to be about all the time. For all of my life, I want to be asking before every task and every decision, what would Jesus do? But do I? Do I? And it's really something to think about, isn't it? Do I really have that thought that crosses my mind? Now, I know as a follower of Jesus, that's what I want to do. That's what I intend to do. But how often do I really pause and ask myself, what would Jesus do? Now, I asked Brother Truett to read from chapter 1. That's on me, but I am actually want to be in chapter 2. And this morning, I want you to go to chapter 2. And I want you to pick up with me in the context where Peter is talking specifically, uh, beginning in verse number 18, he's talking to slaves, he's talking to servants, and he is reminding them about their responsibilities to slave owners who aren't really good people. And even if your slave owner is not a good people, you still, as a follower of Christ, have big responsibilities. But he says, let me give you the ultimate example. Let me talk to you about Jesus. And picking up in verse number 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. This morning I want to look at those verses that I've just read, and tonight, Lord willing, I want to continue into verse uh, number 24 and look at verses 24 and 25. As I begin today, what I want you to think with me first about is two big words in verse number 21. Now, pause for a moment and just think with me about the fact that as a Christian, I want to look and ask the question, what would Jesus do? There are two big words in verse number 21 that I want you to consider. The first word is Example. I find it fascinating. If you think about the word example, you would think that this would be a word that would be found everywhere. That in the New Testament, we would probably find this word a number of times. The word example. But this word is only found right here. One time in the New Testament, we find this word example. You know what it means? If you're taking notes, right? to copy under. That's what it means, to copy under. I go back to my grade school days, those days when I was supposed to be taught how to write. Uh, Some of you have read some of my letters, and uh, you, you know he didn't take that very seriously. But you can understand, you can make out most of what I write. But you go back to those grammar school days when you were learning to write your letters, your ABCs. I don't know how you were taught. But I think that you probably were taught like I was taught. And even as we continue to teach our kids today how they are to write their ABCs and write their letters of the alphabet. And you had at the top of the page this perfect, what you would say, very nice lettering. And some of it had dotted lines so that you could trace those letters, right? And then underneath those letters you had this blank line where then you could try to copy what was above it. And that's how you learn to write your letters, your ABCs. So you take that little pencil in your hand and your teacher tries to show you how you're to hold it, but you don't have any strength in those little fingers. And some of us had to end up making a fist around the pencil and we would try to write those letters. The first thing you did was try to trace. You tried to trace it just perfectly, just exactly the way that it was written. You tried to trace it, right? And then when you graduated from tracing, then you got to the bottom lines and now you were writing under what was up above. And you're you're writing and you're taking your time and you want to get it just right. And so you write that little A with a line and a line and another line to connect them, right? How did it look the first time? (laughs) How does it look now, right? It, It doesn't look good. It didn't look good. Some of you, I've seen your handwriting, and you have amazing penmanship. I'm not, I'm not to, you know, speaking disparagingly about you, but I'm talking about myself. I'm just saying that I tried really hard. I wanted to get it just right. I wanted to copy what was above. And with every stroke of the pencil, I saw mark, marked little bit of improvement. And you see a little bit of improvement with a hope that you are going to be one that can have letters that other people can read. There's hope as you continue to practice. There's hope as you continue to get better and practice more and more. What I'm telling you is that's the idea of the word example. Jesus, obviously, is the perfect. The letters that you're trying to get right. He is the life that you're trying to trace with your own life the life that you're trying to write underneath what is above. That's the word example. Isn't that powerful to think about? Isn't it powerful to think that here is the perfect life of Jesus, and I am just trying to copy what is there? That's the challenge that Peter is laying out to his readers. That's the challenge that he is providing. But this is what I know about myself. I can think about that. And I can give myself an out. And I'll say, Adam, you know what? You're never going to be able to do it. You're never going to be perfectly able to trace it. And you're never going to be perfectly able to write it. You're, you're never going to be able to perfectly emulate the life of Jesus. And so give yourself an out. It's okay, Adam, because you're never going to be perfect. In fact, the Bible says that I'm never going to be perfect. In Romans 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I know that. The Bible says, in fact, if I claim to have no sin, that I am a liar and the truth is not in me. 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, 8 through 10. And so I give myself an out. I say, Adam, it's okay. It's okay if you don't line up perfectly. It's okay if you don't do that because God knows that you're not perfect. And so go ahead and take your out. Now think about that as I go into the second thought. The second big word in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21, the first is example, the second is the word steps. The word steps, it's a Greek word translated from two other Greek words. The idea behind it, as you might imagine, this isn't overly complicated, the idea of the word steps is the fact that you have someone who is going ahead of you. Now, I think you can understand this even being from West Texas. Uh, I think, in my mind, when I think about this, I think of snow. But I think you can get it, right? When I think of this, I think of snow. I think of steps that are being placed in snow ahead of me. So the idea is you have a guide, someone who goes ahead, but the second part of that word makes reference to your heel. Not only the heel of your foot, but the heel of a shoe. And taking the heel of your foot or shoe and placing it directly into the the step that has been made in front of you. Jesus has gone ahead, right? And made the step. And what is my responsibility? My responsibility is to put my heel directly into His step. Now think about it. Because I'm tempted to say, Adam, you have an out. It's really okay. God knows you're human. God knows you're mortal. God knows you're not going to be perfect. God understands that you're going to make mistakes. And all of that is true. I'm not here to tell you it's not. But I find it fascinating that these are the words that Peter uses. Adam, you don't give yourself an out. While all of that is true, your goal is to exemplify Jesus. Your mindset has to be that you're going to trace his life with yours. Your mindset has to be that you're going to perfectly copy him in your life. And your mindset has to be that you're going to perfectly put your heel into his footprint. That's what Peter is saying. That's what Peter is saying. This is what you are about. This is what you must be doing. I told you that word example is found only this time in the New Testament. The word steps there is found three times in the New Testament. One of those times is in Romans chapter 4 and verse 12, where Paul tells the Christians in Rome to follow in the, the steps of Abraham and the faith of Abraham. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, he says, walk in the steps of faith that Abraham walked. The other time, though, is in Ephesians chapter, uh, rather 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And here is the only other time that we find this specific word translated steps. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul again writing to Christians, he says, Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? What's Paul saying about he and Titus? We walked together. We did the same things. We taught the same things. If you heard me, then you heard Titus. If you heard Titus, then you heard me. We are walking in the same steps. And that, my friends, is the same word that Peter uses... For me and my relationship to the Lord, walk in His steps. I want to stop making excuses for sinning. I want to stop making excuses, saying I can't. I want to stop giving myself an out. I know that I'm going to make those mistakes. I know that I'm not going to be perfect. But I want to strive with everything in me to walk as Jesus walked and to do what He did. Here's a very simple way of putting it. Paul does it in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 1. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, the simple verse says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God. You know the familiar words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1? Imitate me as I what? Imitate Christ. Ultimately, you follow me only as I am following Jesus. And when I fail to follow Jesus, don't follow me. Because I am not your standard. Jesus is your standard. Listen, I will let you down. I don't mean to, and I don't want to, and I don't take any joy in saying it, but I will let you down. I'm not your standard. Be imitators of God as dear children, follow in His steps. Don't give yourself an out, aim high. Aim high and go get it. Paul was aiming high. He was looking at Jesus. And that's where my eyes need to be as well. How can I follow, though, in his steps? What steps has he left for me to follow? This morning what I want to do before we are done is I want to look at the first two ways that Jesus exemplifies a perfect life. I am trying to write under him. I'm trying to live his life. I'm trying to trace his steps and walk in them. What has he left for me to walk in? That's where Peter is going to go next. That's where I want to go next. There are four of these that Peter supplies. I want to look at two of them before we're done this morning. And Lord willing, I want to look at the other two tonight from 1 Peter chapter 2. But here's number one. In verse number 23, I'm sorry, verse number 22, the Bible says... Of Jesus, He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. (laughs) Number one, Jesus is our example of a sinless life. I want to walk in His steps, and I want to live and strive to live a sinless life. Jesus lived a sinless life. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, I'm not going to belabor this point. I just want to make it because it needs to be made. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14, the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus and he says, Seeing then that we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every point tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. Jesus lived a sinless life. A life without spot or blemish. I don't see Brother Roger this morning, but I was thinking more about what Brother Roger helped us with last Sunday. If you recall in the Lord's Supper meditation, Brother Roger stood here and he talked about four pictures connected to the cross. And he talked about Judas who would betray Him. He talked about Peter, who would deny Him. He talked about Pilate, who would uh, disregard Him. And then He talked about the crowd of people who were there at the cross and, and surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember those four pictures? Judas, Peter, Pilate, and the crowd. And you know what ultimately all four of those did? In Matthew chapter 27... Judas would go back with those 30 pieces of silver and he would throw them at the feet of those who had given, him to the, given those uh, pieces of silver to him and he would declare the innocence of Jesus. I have betrayed innocent blood. He knew it, didn't he? Peter. Peter would deny him. And yet Peter would, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 14, he would pronounce Jesus to be a just man. A man who did no wrong. Pilate. In Luke's account, four times. Comes back to the people and says, I find no fault in this man. Declared his innocence. Judas declared his innocence. Peter declared his innocence. Pilate declared his innocence. And in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 respond to the gospel. And you have to think, perhaps, some of those were present, even on the day, shouting for his crucifixion. And what are they doing in their response and obedience? They're declaring His innocence. Even His enemies realize that He was innocent. Even that Roman centurion in the book of Mark tells us that that man was the Son of God. Jesus did nothing wrong. I can't wrap my mind around it, but I know that it is true. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter has already made the point. In chapter 1, in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. A sinless life is an example, my friend, that is always in front of us You know what I need to do with that? I need to strive with everything in me to put my heel in His step. I need to strive with everything that is in me to write under Him my life. I need to strive with everything in me to ask, what would Jesus do? I'm asking you this morning to be really serious with me. I'm asking you to really consider, do you ask the question, what would Jesus do before every thought you think and before every task you undertake? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what might happen to our community? What might happen to our families? What might happen to those that were around if we really, honestly gave serious thought what would Jesus do? I don't want to give myself an out. I want to aim high. I know my imperfections. I know my weaknesses. And I know that they exist. But I want to be transformed into His image. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. I'm striving for something bigger. I'm challenging us this morning to think bigger. Bigger to think more about following in the example of Jesus, to follow in His steps. His is a life that is perfectly sinless. I don't want to give myself an out. I just want to ask, what would Jesus do? Here's the second thing that Peter brings up in this very context. In verse number 3, speaking of Jesus, when He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. And when He suffered... He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus is our perfect example of a sinless life. And number two, Jesus is our perfect example of a forgiving life. A forgiving life. The Bible says that when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. That is, when people were hurling insults at him, he didn't hurl them back. (laughs) What do I want to do? I want to do exactly that. I want to hurl those insults right back. I want to come up with lines that will get them back. They hurl insults at me, and I want to hurl insults at them. That's the way we are. But that's not how Jesus was. And I don't want to give myself an out. I'm aiming higher. I'm asking, what would Jesus do? You and I, we we can't even begin to imagine the insults that Jesus had given to him. Do you know the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibbler? They accused Him of being a, a fat drunkard. That's really what they were accusing Him of. And that wasn't anywhere close to the truth, but that's, they were name, calling Him names. You've been called names and they hurt. You don't like it. And what do you want to do? You want to call names back. Jesus didn't do it. Neither should I. They hurled insults at Him. In that mock trial, all putting him on, on, uh, on the stand and, and uh, hurling insults at him. Do you know in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 65, they accused Jesus ultimately of blasphemy. They said, how dare you put yourself in the place of God when he was God and is. What would you do there? They were hurling lies. What do I want to do? I want to get back. I don't like it. Neither do you. You think Jesus liked it? But He took it. And I, I just want to be more like Jesus, don't you? That's the perfect example. This is the example that we're striving to, to follow. They accused Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 of being a follower of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They accused Him of being evil, of wicked in the flesh. You think they'll insult me like that? Probably. You think they'll call names? Probably. But how am I going to respond? See, this is the question that we're posing to ourselves. This is what Peter is telling these Christians in the first century, Christians who are suffering tremendously. You're not trying to be me. You're trying to be Jesus. Peter was the one who made so many great and grand mistakes. They're well documented. Don't you know he wished that they weren't so well documented? And so he could say, don't follow me. I'll let you down. But you follow Jesus. The perfect example of a forgiving life who from the cross, after all of the insults that had been hurled, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23 and verse 34. Don't stoop to their level. Go to God's level. And strive to live a life that is of forgiveness. Because that is the copy that is before us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, Paul would say, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, that's not my first tendency. That's generally not what I want to do. Generally, what I would like to do is stoop to the low level of those who are hurling insults. I'm telling you, Jesus didn't do that. And I want to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And I want to rise above the level of the world. That's what I'm about. That's what we're challenging ourselves to be. Well, i lot more and more like Jesus. You want a powerful verse? Ephesians 4 and verse 32 seems pretty powerful. Ephesians 4 and verse 32 So much in just a short statement, but be kind to one another, Paul says. Be tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus is our perfect example of a forgiving life. Can I ask you this morning what grudges you're holding on to? Can I ask you this morning, what is it that someone has done against you that you just cannot let go of? I ask you this morning in a challenging way to ask, who is it that you just said, you've given yourself an out, and you've said, well, you know what, they haven't come and asked me for for forgiveness, and so I'm just not going to forgive them. I'm just not going to move past this. I just can't allow myself to move on. We give ourselves outs. We say, you know what, I want to, but I just can't. Uh, You know, I'd like to, but I'm just not going to do it. I I just can't do it. You know, they they haven't met all the the stipulations to earn my forgiveness, and so I'm just not going to. Who's your standard? I know that I can give myself an out all day long. I can justify. (laughs) I know I can. I'm pretty good at it. But I want to stop that. And I want to be thinking more and more about Jesus. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want you to think with me as I close about verses 8 and 9. Two verses very close to our context in chapter 2. Verses that follow pretty closely what we've been looking at already today and Lord willing again tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says this in verse number 8. Finally... All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. You see, when Jesus was reviled, He didn't revile in return. And Peter says, don't you do it either. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Peter refers back to this calling. He used the word calling over in chapter 2. To this you were called. Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. To this you were called. You weren't called to return reviling for reviling, but you were called to be a blessing. It's not some holy voice that's speaking to you, calling to you in an audible way. What he's reminding us is that we are Christians. We are to be like Christ, followers of Him. I will let you down. I will let you down. People will let you down. I'm not asking you to ask yourself, what would Adam do? I'm asking you to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I don't want to give myself an out. I don't want to try to justify sinful behavior. I don't want to try to justify being committed or doing sinful things. I don't want to try to justify holding on to something and being unwilling to forgive. I just want to be like Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect. I understand and neither will you. But Peter says, this has to be your thinking. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Where are you this morning? Can I challenge you to ask yourself before anything you think or do, what would Jesus do? And do that. This morning, let's challenge ourselves to be more and more like Jesus. Our perfect example. God who came down and died for our sins so that we can go to Him. God who came down and lived a perfect life and shed His perfect blood so that we, through that blood, can be forgiven of our sin. May we strive to be more and more like Him. What would Jesus do I just want to put my heel directly into his footprint. This morning as you look at your life and examine yourself as a Christian and you say there are, there are things that are amiss and things that I need to repent of and things that I need to take care of in a public way. Well, you have the ability to do that now. We ask that you would. This morning, my friend, if you need to come back to the Lord, if you've left and you need to come back, then do. Well, with open arms, Jesus is ready to throw himself around you. And so are we. Tonight, or this morning, if if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus died for your forgiveness. That He lived a sinless life only with you in His mind. And this morning, you can be forgiven of your sin. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what you think has transpired. God can forgive it through the power of the blood of His Son. God, through Jesus, offers you forgiveness. Will you respond to Him today? Will you come, believing Jesus to be the Son of God, with a willingness to repent of sin in your life, confessing your faith in Him as the Son of God, and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? This morning you can be found right with Him. And that's the only place to find yourself, my friend, when your life is over. If you're not prepared to meet the Lord, then come, please, while together we stand.